Good evening, Caladio. Can you guys hear me? All right. All right, before we start tonight, I want, I want you to follow after me quickly. Say Deuteronomy. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Johan is awesome, man. Good evening, Caladio. It's good to see you all here tonight. A gift. What is a good gift to you? What do you consider to be a good gift? When I was little, when I was a little boy, I sat on my grandma's lap one Christmas, or I think it was my birthday. I opened the present that she gave me, and I remember opening it, and <laughs> the first thing I did, I started crying, because it wasn't toys, it was clothes. I think I was around five or six years old, and my grandma had for the first time given me something that I don't necessarily love. What kid loves clothing over toys, right? So when someone gives you something that is dear to your heart, something that you love, that relates to something you love, you will treasure that gift, right? You'll take good care of it. So I'm going to speak to you about not a gift tonight. I'm going to speak to you about the gift. The gift that we can give people who we treasure. Because if you treasure someone, if you love someone, you're going to want the best for them. You're going to want only the best for them. So tonight we're going to learn about the gift. That we can give to someone that rivals, no, that has no rival. Now, what if we could learn to love people Every person in our lives, what if we can learn to love them so much that we want the best for them? Would the presence of those people in your lives make you happy? Yeah, it would. So as Gerald Ferreira said last week, there are 7.5 billion people alive in this world today. And I want to ask you, what is your neighbor's name? Because every person in this building deserves or should be able to go out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, that He is our Lord and Savior, to every person we meet. Am I right? Wherever we go, in our walks of life, when, whether we're at school or at work, we should be spreading the gospel through everything, all our actions, all our words, everything we do and say. We should be spreading the gospel to the people closest to us. Now, what if we can learn to love everybody? the way we love the closest people to us. Wouldn't we then in turn want to spread the gospel and, and bestow a gift upon these people the way we are tonight? Notice how in, in this country, specifically in South Africa, we grew up, and um, those of you who are quite older, even the high school teenagers, we have a lot of trust issues. Us as a culture in South Africa, we, we, we grow up with a lot of trust issues. And I'm going to explain to you why, because... From a very young age, and I'm pretty sure every generation in this building tonight can relate to this, is we grow up with walls around our houses. We grow up with walls inside our schoolyards. And we are told from a very young age that we are not to trust those outside these walls. So from a young age, psychologically, we are taught not to trust if people aren't inside our closest group. Now, you go to a first world country, I can name a few, America, 
England, so forth. You would walk down the street, and as far as I can see, you wouldn't see a single wall. You'd see houses, and you would see people maybe on a Saturday barbecuing. And you could see what everyone's doing, or you would be inside a house, and the neighbor would spontaneously burst into your house looking for some sugar. When was the last time that you in South Africa, in your neighborhood, went to your neighbor's for something? Some sugar? Anything? No, you'd rather drive to the shop where you trust the product you're buying. No, I'm not saying America has anything to go by um, when it comes to moral values, but in contrast to a country where we grow up with walls all around us, I'd say that's a pretty good living. We read in Scripture, uh, Romans 9, more specifically, Paul writes and he starts off by saying, I speak the truth in Christ. And then he goes on to write, I'm not lying. So we can assume that whatever he's about to say is not lying. Okay. So in verse 2, he starts and he writes, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people from those of my own race. This blew my mind when I read it because, first of all, I want you to know that Paul said this, not me. I do not feel that way right now. But, but Paul has a certain love for his people in his heart. Who of us could say that, that for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ? That is a very daunting thing to say. But why would Paul write and say this? Because if you read the rest of the scripture, which I'm not going to go into right now, he explains the love he has in his heart for the people who are not yet reborn. And I remember meeting my wife, and what drew me to her the first time I met her was her ability to love the people she does not know. I did not grow up that way. She would walk to the randomest people, and she would start up a conversation. She would talk to them. She'd ask them about their shoes. And she would eventually end up in this big conversation. And eventually she'd lead them to Christ somehow. And I'm just like, uh, okay, I want to keep shopping. <laughs> right? And that drew me to her because I got to learn from that. I got to experience firsthand what it was like to see somebody cry at night. Because she met someone that day who didn't know Christ. Or someone that was so far gone. And then we read what Paul writes. Yeah, you come back. That's my punchline. Don't read that. <laughs> we read what Paul writes. He said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. Now, when we read it in the Bible, it's one thing. But when you can see it or you can experience it for yourself, that is a completely different experience. It is like, re it's like reading in scriptures about the crucifixion of Jesus, but then you go and you watch a movie like The Passion. All of a sudden, you think differently. All of a sudden, you can imagine what that person's going through. And I have my wife to thank for this experience. Because a couple of years later, I can now think the same way. I had the privilege of going to a, a big convention on Friday. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to bring this up, but I went to Comic-Con. Who knows what Comic-Con is? All right, now it is, it is a gathering of nerds and geeks, okay? We get together and speak about comic books. 
Now, you can imagine that at a conference like that, you can meet some interesting characters. And I'm not talking about comic book characters. I'm talking about people who perhaps wish they were comic book characters too much. Now, <laughs> now I walked around, and my first impression was, okay, I'm going to go for whatever, the, the interviews and the celebrities who rock up. But then, obviously, with the package, you get all these people who are really, really dark and mysterious. But somehow... Somehow, and if this happened to me two or three years ago, I would have probably tried to ignore them. But somehow, I had the most fun I've ever had meeting and speaking to new people. I would walk up to the most random person because I was there alone. Okay, so when I'm alone, I there's I I want to speak to people because I'm a, I'm a people person. So I went. I spoke to the randomest people, and you know what I found? I found one profound thing, and and I, I bet that each of you would find the same thing if you had to speak to someone random. They're human too. They have feelings too. Life is probably just a little rougher to them than it is to you. And this is how Jesus loved people. We can see it all through scriptures. As he walks, people with leprosy come up to him. He doesn't care. He loves them. Children. Children get chased away. No, 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 bring them back. I'm going to love them. The elders, no, there's a prostitute, no, leave her alone. I'm going to love this prostitute. So can we find that love in our hearts for other people that we don't know? Because, okay, now we can do the punchline thing. So what my punchline is that we need to learn to love the lost before we can love the church. But how can you say that? God loves the church. Yes, God loves the church. But what is a church full of healthy people if there's no room for the lost? The church has no purpose. The church is just a gathering of healthy people. The same thing. A very well-known spoken word artist said one thing, Jefferson Bethke. He said, the church is not a museum for the good. It is a hospital for the broken. Because, I mean, can you bear the thought of the guy next to you dying, not having had the chance to know Christ? Can you bear the thought of your neighbor, who you've grown up probably your whole life, can you bear the thought of you not even knowing his name because you never had the courage to go over and speak to him, befriend him or her? So that you can have the chance to spread the gospel. So that you can have the chance to invite them into your house. We are not all called to go out in the world and preach the gospel. Jesus Christ is the center of everything that we do. Whether you work in ministry full-time or whether you're at an office job, sitting behind a desk nine hours a day, you have to be Christ everywhere you go. But the only way you can do this is to grow closer to Christ in relationship so that you can find the love in your heart for the people who don't think, look, or speak like you. But now my question to you is, is, do you think that the church is a place where non-believers would want to go? And here comes a challenge. I want you all to humor me for a moment. Imagine, just for this moment, not longer than this. Imagine for a moment that you are a non-believer. Okay? So you're a non-believer. You don't believe in God. Don't say it, though. Just, just think it. You don't believe in God, but you know there's a truth out there. You know there's a definite truth. You just haven't found it yet. When you look at Christians, 
when you look at the Christian community, is the church, and I'm not speaking about a building, I'm speaking about the people, is the church a place where you would want to find the answer to life? Because for a long time, I didn't think so. I mean, I would rather go to Islam or something, right? At least they're willing to die for what they believe in. Or Buddhism, where all they know is peace. But sometimes we walk into church and all we find is hypocrisy and we find people wanting to show off the latest car. Or they want to reserve the seat that they've been sitting in for 10 years because your name isn't written in it. Now, I, wanna, I want you to take a look. Um, sorry, I lost myself now. <laughs> so, I'm going to continue on that thought. Is the church really a place where you would want to find the answer to life? Because when you walk in here, we as Christians, we proclaim that we have the answer to life. And we do. I mean, the Bible is the word of God. I and mean, we read it in 2 Timothy. If you can go on 2 Timothy 3, 3 uh, 16, it says, all, scriptures, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So we know it's the truth. We know that what we have is the truth. Jesus Christ is the Savior of all. But are we living this? When we look at scriptures, we look at the book of Acts, we see how people went to church, not for themselves. We see how they proclaimed loudly that none of their stuff was theirs. They would give away all their stuff. They would come to church asking, what do you need? What do you want? Jesus Christ was the center of all they did in the church of Acts, which just refers to the first church after Jesus died. But what can we learn from that? And, and, and how can we not say that, okay, but that was for that time, this is now. Because we look at churches like, like China and um, India. In, in China specifically, um, they, they have to gather in underground rooms. The government is, is chasing after them. They, what they do is they don't always have Bibles. So, because if you're found with a Bible in China, you will you'll get murdered for it. So, what happens is they they smuggle little pieces of paper with scriptures written on it in their language, probably in Mandarin. And then they would they'd smuggle it in, and then the people would take these they they'd get hold of these little papers. They would read the scripture that's on it, and they'd memorize it so well that they can. They can remember it for the rest of their lives. And then they would burn these pieces of paper before some government official would find it and persecute them for it. Now, if you go to someone like that and you say to them, listen, in our church, we have lights and we have a big stage. And, and if you're not happy with how the worship is or if you're not happy with how the preacher speaks, you can, on the next Sunday which we only do once a week, by the way, you can on the next Sunday go to another church. That person will laugh at you. If you have to tell that to someone in India, they won't know what you're talking about. They, don't, they won't grasp the concept that you have options and you have a customizable faith. And this is what the Church of Acts was. They were persecuted and, and, and they went to church every day of the week. Because all they had was Jesus Christ. And I can bet that some pretty bad preachers, and I'm pretty sure some of the crowds sang really bad, but it's all they had. 
Because in a world like that, there's no room for casually being a Christian. And then I have to come back to my, my question is, is the church a place where non-believers would want to go? Or are you a person that your non-believer neighbor would want to walk over and start speak to? Because I want to encourage you to start being that person. I want you to encourage you to start finding a love in your heart for these people. So here we are catering for people, asking them how can we customize our music, how can we customize our church just to suit you so that you might come to my church. Or can we be a culture, can we be a community that caters for people who want the real thing? People who are willing to, to disciple their kids at home and not just drop them off at school or Sunday school hoping someone else would do it for them. Are we going to cater for people who are really looking for the truth? Because let's, the church is not a museum for the good. It's a, it's a hospital for the broken. And let's be that. Let's be a place where people can come and they can find Jesus. Not, not in the sermon, not in the worship, but in, in, in the attitude that we have towards them. Because I saw some people on Friday who I would never hang out with. But I managed to strike up a conversation and it was fun because I got to, to hear about their stories and, and why, I don't know, they dress the way they dress and they, they look the way they look and they speak the way they speak. And I could, I could find the common ground. I could relate to them because we all have a story to tell. We've all been through hard times. I thought I'd, I'd do a little illustration for you guys. If this was a business... Right, so this gathering, I'm not talking about the general church. I'm talking this gathering. If we were a business, we would have roughly about 35 full-time staff, right? So who own the company or run the company. Underneath that, we would have around just over 4,000 sales reps. All running around with the same knowledge, the same product, and a product that outshines any of its rivals. So it's an easy sell. Now, if we take that, and these sales reps get trained at least once a week, and they have a guide on the product that they could read through every day of the week and educate themselves. Now, if you take these 4,000 reps, and we look at the, if we, if we had to turn the, our product into numbers of sales, am I realistic when I say that we're doing about 10 to 15 conversions a week? Is that, does that sound fair? that about 10 to 15 people a week through the sales reps alone, going out in their world, working, being in school, are, are hearing the message and giving their hearts to Christ. It's not the gatherings that we do at the church or anything like that. It's just you in your everyday life. If we can bring 15 people to church next week who've given their lives to the Lord through us living our lives, in the business world, we would see that as a failing business. Let's bump it up. Let's do 100. Let's say next week, 100 people come to church who've given their lives to the Lord, who'd bought our product. It is still, out of 4,000, it is still a failing business. Because with all these representatives running around out there, everyone having the opportunity to minister to so many people, people still have to come to church once a week to hear it from one guy. So I want to encourage you tonight, go out, you meet a lot more people than we do being here every Sunday. 
We can grow this community. We can grow this faith. Get them involved in a small group. Because what better way to start than not inviting them to church? I mean, there's a lot of people out there who don't want to go to church. Trust me, I've tried. There's a lot of people. But get them into a small group. Or just become friends with them. Meet your neighbor. Before I moved out of my parents' house, when I moved at the age of 24, I realized that I don't even know who my neighbor was. So I ran over, said, sorry for hitting my ball over the fence a couple of times, but what is your name? <laughs> That's the only time I ever got to meet my neighbor. And I wish, and I wish because she was a really nice lady, and I wish that I had gone to visit her more often because she was a really nice lady. It was a lady that I I'd actually considered having in my life as a mentor. But let's do it. Let's do it. Let, let's go and meet new people. That's why we do the Minute to Mingle here. Because there's a lot of new people who come here every week, and we, we can meet them through just a handshake. So as we're on this, this, um, this journey of color and, and changing the world and evangelism, I want you to know that it starts here. It starts with the people who are in your lives now. So that we may go out in the world and change the nations. I want to pray with you tonight. Dear Lord, I want to thank you so much for, for creating this, this space, this opportunity, this moment where we can meet you face to face. And God, I want to ask you that the walls that we've built up around our houses all our lives, the trust issues, the inability to speak to people who don't think like us, who don't look like us, who don't speak like us. I want to come and I want to break those walls down in the name of Jesus Christ tonight. And in the name of Jesus, I want to bless each and every person in this building with the ability to evangelize wherever they are. And to create opportunities for people to meet the living God. To find the answer to life. So that they don't have to go out in the world and find it there. God, I want to thank you for sending your son. And I want to thank you for entrusting us with the ability to go out and to spread the gospel. So God, come and speak in our hearts, come and, come and challenge us all individually in every area that we are in, that we would find one person this week, that we would just, just say hi, strike up a conversation, and allow that to lead to are you saved? So that when we sing songs like Hosanna, when we sing, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. That we know that we, if we proclaim something like that, we better hang on. Because you are going to take us on a journey that we've never been on before. Because you're going to show us places in your heart that we've never seen before. God, we thank you for your love. And may we love because you loved us first. I pray that in your mighty name alone, we all say, Amen.
Thank you, Kaleidio. May you have a blessed week and an awesome evening. Don't go home yet. Please hang out, make some friends. Have a good time.